When we last left our heroes, they were locked into a terribly important discussion. Let's drop in on them again as they plot the future. Now from the Top Dog's Kennel in beautiful downtown Burbank, it's the Terrence and Philip Show. Thank you, Gary, and welcome to another episode of the Terrence and Philip Show. I'm Philip Hodgetts. And I'm Terrence Curran. And let's talk about workflow. <laughs> My favorite. Well, I mean, ultimately everything we do is workflow. Yeah. As we mentioned in a previous show on NAB, you got actually an innovation recognition this year for the development you've done in improving workflows, which kind of leads us into Lumberjack. We had a nice announcement at NAB that does automatic keyword extraction, magic keywords, so, which is far more marketable, I thought, than you know, auto, content auto-analysis keywords. It was probably not. <laughs> yeah, say that 10 times fast. Yeah. Numberjack is really about workflow. Right, which, which doesn't sound sexy, but it's really important. Yeah, and trying to automate as much of this as we can. So this is what we, this is what we talked about at NAB, that we would automatically extract keywords from a, from a transcription. You've still got to get that transcript made. Uh-huh. This is for non-scripted material, of course. Right. But having had the transcript made, we will, we will derive the keywords. How do you, out of an entire transcript, how do you decide which are the keywords? What's important out of that? Well, there's a lovely natural language processing engine that does all that. Yeah? It pulls out the most relevant keywords, and then we filter them, and we manipulate them, and give you a choice of how to, how to interact with them. So we, we, it's a field that, that over the last five years has come from nowhere to, oh my God, it's so sophisticated. Wow. So out of... A paragraph, it'll go, these three words are what are, what are important. Yeah, there, are, there are a lot of false positives, but, you know, false positives are easier to delete than not, not getting the right keywords. And on the transcripts that we test with, which is a documentary that I started and never finished a couple of years ago, the, key, the, the important keywords that are generated from the, automa- from the magic keywords, we call it, uh, are remarkably similar to the important keywords that I generated with a much more laborious manual process. <laughs> And so we can get 80% of the way there in, in, like, seconds. I'm trying to think of how this is done. What's the algorithm behind something oh, like that? I mean, I, I would get, you know, you throw out it's, yeah. the, and, okay, that's easy. But then you're left with still a lot of words. It, it works out frequency, as I understand it, and my understanding is it's very simplistic. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of comparison of where it is in the sentence, um, where it appears in multiple sentences, uh, um, how often, obviously... Uh, there are other there are other parameters that take are taken into account. It's a, it's not a simple algorithm. We could have rolled our own from much simpler building blocks, right? Because there are there are frameworks we could use, but but we chose to use one of the many, well, I think three, uh, web APIs that are available for you just to call up. If we become incredibly successful, this we may have to fork over fifty bucks a month. Huh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That'll set you back. That would that would be fifty thousand or five hundred thousand or something calls per month. There's a limit that I I'd be surprised if we got to, but even then it's a fairly reasonable. We use a, a system called Monkey Learn, but IBM also have a an API available. Um, they have another API that will actually do context, but it'll only match up at about against a, a preset list of contexts, which wasn't that helpful. So when when you say it'll do context, what exactly? Well, if you got if you got a paragraph that's talking about BMWs and Rolls Royces in racing, uh-huh. it'll create a concept and say that's about automobiles. Oh, okay. So it can pull out those sort of concepts that aren't based on words. Mm-hmm. But being a, a a predetermined list of somebody else's list of words, that's not very helpful for documentary or reality television. Right. Because 
our next step is to find a way of having that transcript generated automatically. Yes. You know, automatic speech to text transla- translation feeding into the keyword extraction engine and now f- do string outs from that. Now you have basic, and I mean really basic string outs of the common concepts for wherever they occur across your material within seconds of... So who would you go with? I mean, obviously there's engines out there like Nexidia. Would you... Well, Nexidia is not a speech-to-text engine. It's not? No. Nexidia is a predictive waveform from the word. Oh, okay. So if you you hear a word, you're looking for a word like merry-go-round. There's a certain waveform that merry-go-round generates when it's spoken. Okay. So it's just for comparing. Yeah. Yeah. Nexidia goes and looks to find those waveforms. Okay. There are a number of speech-to-text engines out there. Well, Google, obviously. Is... Google has one of the two best. Yeah. Nuance has the other one of the two best. Nuance is behind uh, Dragon Natural Speaking, okay. and it's the speech they license to Apple for the speech-to-text component of um, the Siri complex. So does Google license theirs? or No. Okay. Although Google have currently made their API available for up to two-minute chunks. Oh, that would be tough. Well, I guess you could do section stuff, but that's kind of a that's that's a little bit of a pain. Yeah. What's really interesting is that Martin Baker from Digital Heaven in the UK, hmm? just prior to NAB, and I think it largely got lost in the noise, announced that they have in development an automated speech to text engine for release in the third quarter this year. Wow. So who's whose engine are they using? That? Uh, I haven't had a chance to speak to Martin. <laughs> but Siri is a number of components. It's, so it's their speech-to-text, and they license that from Nuance. Okay. But then there's the natural language processing engine, similar to what we use, Monkey Learn. They use an inter- internally developed natural language processing engine. So that pulls the, the, the words out of that. And then they have a concept generating engine that knows if you're talking about an umbrella that you're really talking about weather, and so it goes looking for weather. Okay. So it has to pull out concepts. Now, I don't know of anybody who's got an engine like that because if I could get hold of that technology, I'd be in hog heaven. <laughs> and the, way we, the way we've written it is we could easily swap to another natural language processing engine at any time. Hint, hint. <laughs> no, I see the very subtle hint. Yeah, very subtle. Yes, uh, I, the, the reality is, of course, that Apple, because Apple licensed that engine from Nuance, mm-hmm. probably not at liberty to current to unlicense it to to third party developers like ourselves. I think that's the the unfortunate, sad reality there. That's too bad because that would be a natural fit since you're doing for Final Cut 10 and you're in the Apple universe already and, you know. I know, I know. I drop hints where I can. Yeah. (laughs) I I hadn't noticed earlier. Yeah. It's not a complete solution and there are issues that we're still resolving. How do you easily concatenate very similar keywords? For example, in the example that I use, we have three keywords, uh, multi-engined cars multi-dash-engined cars, multi-engined car. Okay. Now, you and I both know that they're really all three are talking about the same thing. Right. And inside Final Cut, that's really easy. You decide which one you want to keep, and you just copy and paste that to the other keyword. Okay, but that's a lot of manual work. Uh, it takes maybe two or three minutes in total to, to tidy that up. We're, we're trying to explore what we would do in our own software to make that easier. Yeah. And a couple of early adopters have, have made suggestions. Mm-hmm. Not all of which are... Easy, as easy to implement as people who don't write code and think about interface design would think. <laughs> so you're saying, hey, this sounds like a good idea, and Greg's going, uh... 
uh, I tend to like to throw back at people saying, that's, that's a terrific idea. How would, you, how would you see that being implemented? How do you think the interface for that might work? Uh-huh. Sometimes people come up with really good ideas that we didn't. That's helpful. And automation is, is coming. Greg's been working with, with a client that we used to work closely with. They had a batch of videos that hadn't been produced because they didn't think anyone was, was using them. So they suddenly had to fill in a gap of two months worth of videos of their particular product category. Wow. Now, these are very formulaic, but they are different types of product in different sizes. So it isn't one size fits all. So in some way, you've got to detect which of the four categories. But, but essentially, what Greg worked on for them was to take a template for each of those four categories hmm. and replace the individual shots, most of which are stills, oh, successively. Okay. Again, this company is very organized. Everything follows an exact specific pattern for mm-hmm. every, every product they take a photograph of. And... It works. And then they realized, so if this worked on the back catalog, why do we keep paying people to do the going forward work? Right. The amount of work in that, in that, the amount of work in that company for editors has dropped down because a large portion of what they used to do. Placing shots in the donut, basically. Yeah. And they were tweaking, they were tweaking moves. Mm -hmm. It's probably 85% of the same job but it's within the quality assurance guidelines that they stick to for them to be satisfied with that. So there's two examples where large amounts of work for one, one or more people has derived. To do keyword ranges in an hour of transcripts is going to take you probably two hours. In Lumberjack, it's two minutes. And then two more minutes to tidy it up in Final Cut. Wow. And you multiply... The <laughs> now, I hope it doesn't put people out of work. What I see it as being more... Va- more valuable is taking away the, the repetitious work. Right. And yet you say, all right, now I've got my material organized. I can find my topics where my story beats are going to be. I can start doing the job I'm being paid for. Yeah. And that's how all of this has come about, though, is we're constantly trying to eliminate repetitive jobs, increase the effectiveness of – how would you describe what technology does? We're, we're trying to make life easier. Yeah. So all of these pushes to make life easier are great. However, there is a human cost in the people who lose the employment that they could do. And the big problem is that, yes, the easiest jobs are replaced with the repetitive ones, um, which are also the ones that someone below average intelligence do. Now, what job are those people going to do? I don't know. Yeah, and pair it with what we've already talked about with the fact that there are also a number of APIs which on, that are still nascent, they're still early on, but where you can send them images and they will give you keywords back as to the content of that image. Yeah, this is... The, uh, <laughs> yes. There is already technology that will recognize somebody's emotion in a shot. It's being used to test the effectiveness of advertising mostly right now, but, right. but you can see where it would have other application over time. One of the reasons why I find excuses to use Lumberjack is to make Lumberjack work because I have to eat my own dog food. Exactly. You have to be able to. Yeah. I can see a role for a watch in simple logging. Mm -hmm. Cameraman can't really operate a camera, even on a tripod, and log with Lumberjack. On every lunch with Philip and Greg, we log as we shoot and eat lunch Uh, because it's just not that hard. If you wanted to just log favorites, you know, just to be able to tap on your wrist, favorite or reject the last 30 seconds. Yeah, but that could be in the camera too. And it would make more sense being in the camera. It would be in the camera, and Panasonic and others have tried something like that, and it's been spectacularly unsuccessful. I believe it's been used on one case study. I've heard of one case study. 
Oh, okay. Well, because they don't allow for comprehensive metadata and right. and metadata in cameras applies to the entire clip. Right. In all cameras and recorders, metadata applies to the entire clip. Plus, is the cameraman really the guy you want? Well, He's uh, not focused on that. No, and, and I don't think the cameraman should. It depends on who on the set is you know, doing what. Mm-hmm. If you have an audio guy on the boom... Yeah. He's got no hands left for doing anything else. Right, right. But if the audio guy is sitting there behind a console monitoring, mm-hmm. then tapping on a key on a keyword every so often isn't that hard. My experience would be that the audio guy and the camera guy, et cetera, are not the ones who should be picking the keywords because they're not really – they're focused oh, no. on different things. Agreed, agreed. But there's, there's generally somebody – yeah, whoever that person it is, is yeah. Yeah. yeah, they can hold an iPad. What the hell? Yeah. Or their phone, for that fo- matter. Actually, the phone is both. Greg and I prefer to log with Lumberjack on a phone rather than the iPad. Yeah, it makes sense because it's a smaller. Yeah, it's right there. Boom, 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 and yeah. We've developed stuff. I'm just amazed how Lumberjack has developed over time from that original simple concept of real time keywording that I had. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, doing the Lumberjack can song helped me actually realize the three buckets that we have because the three verses really summarize. Which reminds me, where can somebody see that? The easiest place is on YouTube but you can, uh, where you can just search for Lumberjack System and, that's, uh, and then it's with the Lumberjack System is the channel and uh, Lumberjack Can is the most recent video posted to that channel. There's not a lot there. <laughs> I strongly recommend you go see it. <laughs> Phil, <laughs> Philip was daring. Well, it started something because Ben Balzer, who's a, guess on Facebook as Final Cut Pro 10 guru, has a Final Cut 10 bro rap song out on audio only but out today yeah it's, it was a piece of fun i just took the music to Candyman and wrote my own lyrics about lumberjack and the three verses summarize the the real-time keywording the story building and now the transcription workflows that have been built into into lumberjack mm-hmm. you know we're experimenting with yet another real-time logging interface that uh, somebody talked to us, to us about at nab there's been enough indicator that that might be a useful interface and of course we've added backlogger there is a certain group of production where they want to still log real time, but they want to log notes against a a keyword and a time range. Right. Not just a keyword. It's like, okay, well, Lumberjack wasn't designed with that in mind, but real time keywording is our thing. In fact, any pre-editing, anything that gets it easier to get before the editing really starts is is what Lumberjack is about. This this was not intended to be a commercial for Lumberjack, by the way. No, no, (laughs) no. Well, it is a tool. So... It works with Final Cut 10. Yeah. Can you use it with Premiere? You could run it through Final Cut Pro 10 and use 10 to CC to... Okay. Uh, And what about with uh, Resolve that now is... Well, Resolve doesn't really accept uh, event-level XML at all. Okay. Now, I believe, and Alexis um, made sure that I knew that there is now a way of bringing CSV, comma-separated variable information, into the bin structure. Mm -hmm. I haven't explored it, so I don't know what's there. The problem with... NLEs that don't use keyword ranges is that there's nothing that's really analogous to the way keyword ranges and keyword collections work in Final Cut Pro 10. That's kind of unique to that NLE. Keyword ranges in time is what Lumberjack largely does, one way or the other. I say, you know, we'll support anything that supports keyword ranges. Ah. <laughs> in Premiere, you could, you could run it through Final Cut Pro 10, then you could go through 10 to CC and you'd come back into Premiere and you would have uh, bins with subclips in them. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we started doing 10 to 7, as was at the time, which became 10 to CC, up until that point in time, we'll say, yeah, we'll do Lumberjack for Premiere Pro, we'll do Lumberjack for Media Composer. Until we started to work at how we had to fit Final Cut Pro 10 event information, I, keywords and keyword collection, into, uh, into, the into other apps. Okay. A, a more traditional structure, 
it became very difficult and it was when we were doing that work for the 10 to 7 translation that we of event that we decided we weren't going to do long jack for premiere pro interesting well it's something you might i don't know how so if people wanted that how would they let you know so that you knew if there was enough interest to put the effort into it email me i mean if you can't find my email address i probably don't want to hear from you (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i would recommend that i am seeing more premiere pro projects coming in. remembering that of course that adobe have its own competing prelude live logger prelude Mm -hmm. uh, premiere pro workflow that kind of parallels what we do with Lumberjack, but nowhere near as elegantly, nowhere near as simply. Are they still developing on that? I I haven't seen any active developments in Live Logger since Wes left. Um, Yeah, well, we first saw whatever that was back when they were doing six, I think, right? Premiere six. Oh, sorry, I saw it two years before it was released. Uh, But then it was never, I never really saw any kind of, I know. I think, I mean, I think it works just fine. I mean, I think it's a great tool for putting, for finding highlights in a bunch of footage. I wonder if anybody's using it. I don't know. I know I, I, somebody who was wanting to know if, how they could do something similar in Premiere, I certainly pointed them in the way of Premiere Prelude Live Logger. Mm-hmm. I know there are some people like the YouTube channel are definitely using Prelude Live Logger for, oh, their, okay. for their daily best of YouTube stuff. Oh, okay. They're definitely using it there. But, but these are the case studies that one hears about officially. These are the things, the case studies that Adobe promotes. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's used... The, the trouble that I see from, purely from a product manager perspective... The reason I believe that Premiere Pro is so successful as it is at the moment is because Adobe have provided a very viable, modern, architected alternative to classic Final Cut. Okay. And a lot of editors were happy to not learn anything too much new. Mm -hmm. And the transition from Final Cut Classic to Premiere Pro is a relatively easy transition. Yes, it is. Yes. And Premiere Pro certainly offers... Most of what people were asking for out of a, a putative Final Cut 8. There's also the fact that there's the entire suite. There's the entire suite, If yeah. you If you use yep. Photoshop, you've got Premiere Pro free. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's there. There are four and a half million subscribers to the Adobe Cloud, Creative Cloud at the moment. I think that was the most recent number I heard. Okay. I believe there are about 800,000 installs of Premiere Pro. And so are those officially released numbers? No. Or? So no, we don't know but that I'm confident in that number because okay. I got corrected by somebody who knew, did know. <laughs> I've, I've always said about 600 and they said 800. Yeah, but then out of that, how many are actually using it? Apple had a, a million purchases of Final Cut at NAB 2014. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's say that it sold at a less ex, ex, exponential rate. That's still way over 2 million sales at this point. Just inferred. Again, how many people are using it every day? How many people are full professional editors? Well, in all cases, almost none of those mm-hmm. because... Yeah, are you getting it, paid to use it? That's the question. Yeah, 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 and I don't get paid to use it, but I, use, I do use Final Cut Pro Ten as a professional editing tool. I edit stuff pretty much every day, something, and build my own tools to make it work the way I want it to work. But I'm not a professional editor. I don't put editor on my tax return. Right, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever census return, or whatever they wherever they get that. According to the Department of Labor and Statistics, we've said this before. There's about twenty five and a half thousand film and TV editors in the country. Presumably, there's at least a hundred thousand seats of media composer somewhere in that range. Right, worldwide. There's we said eight hundred thousand of Premiere Pro. There's let's say round figures two million of Final Cut Pro Ten. There's an unknown number of Sony Vegas 
but we can pretty much guarantee that <laughs> none of those Ten. professional film and TV. <laughs> Boris supports it, so there's probably 300,000 at least. Uh, yeah, well, I guess if Boris supports it, there must be some market for their stuff, but I don't know who. No, I, I don't know anybody who, who uses Vegas myself, no. but there are people who use it. I mean, in, in the entire history of Alpha Dogs, I've had one project yeah. that was offline in Vegas. Yeah. One. Remembering, of course, that you see a very distinct subset of, of all the work that's being done. Yep. Well, we get had tons and tons of Final Cut 7, which yeah. is now you know, obviously petering off. We get the occasional Final Cut 10. We're getting more and more Premiere, and yep. now it's primarily Abbott again. But in our industry, yeah. Premiere's gaining area. But Resolve's going to throw a little... And I, I and I think I see I see a spanner in the in the long term works for particularly for Premiere is that the the meme that Final Cut Pro Ten is faster is consistent and solid. Everybody who uses it professionally comes to that conclusion. How far, how much faster they they consider it to be varies, mm. but everyone says it's faster. Now it takes producers a while to get messages mm. because doing it the way we did the last one is always the safe option. Right. But eventually producers are going to start to hear the message. Final Cut 10 is faster. Final Cut 10 is faster. Why are you using the slow one? Why are you costing me more money? Well, we'll have to see. I mean, it, <laughs> it's one thing for an editor to go, well, I'm faster on it. And it's another thing to actually get the job done faster because it doesn't matter how fast you work. If they've got three weeks to get it done, somehow it takes three weeks regardless of – It was. you int- just try more things. It was interesting that the Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, I guess it's preview screening, screening that was the – the Light Iron sponsored screening uh-huh. was co-produced by the Producers Guild. Somebody's being smart and getting the message where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Also, as a generation of editors dies out, those people who aren't comfortable with learning new, uh, and this is part of the part of what educates my thinking about where we put our development efforts mm-hmm. with Lumberjack. We can do a really excellent integration with Final Cut Pro Ten because basically we built on the same principles. Right. The integration with Premiere Pro would be possible, but it would be inelegant, and it would double the amount of work. would actually make it more like four, three and a half to four times the amount of development time, because now you're working with two versions of XML, you're working with two operating systems, and you're working with two platforms. And we're talking about the group of people who weren't interested in going to the innovative NLE, they were going to the one that was most like the one they had previously used. Ah, okay. Ditto media composer users are the least likely to go out and do something completely a completely new and innovative workflow. Well, yeah, because of where their the ad installed base is, they're the people who are. Yeah, I mean, they're just unlikely to do that. So, the opportunity for something that turns workflows on its head, or significantly changes workflow, is very much reduced within markets that are succeeding because they are not innovating the workflow. Premiere Pro is certainly improving the experience, but it's not innovating. Apart from where they borrow ideas from Final Cut Pro 10, hover scrub, <laughs> proxy workflow. <laughs> well, it's funny. Every time they come out with a new release, you go, wow, that's been an Avid for 15 years. Oh, yeah, but we were, we were at an Avid event where it's like Avid are adding features. So, yeah, that's been in Premiere for, for years. That's been in Final Cut for years. That was yeah, well, they're all, that's all they're left with, all these yeah. guys kind of borrowing from each other. I mean, how much more can you change the way you edit it's not at this point i would just like it to be more efficient there should be no downtime there should be no uh, waiting for the computer to perform anything there should be no auto saving should be happening i mean really they should be like databases yeah 
That's the part that drives me crazy. I mean, if I'm working in an accounting program and it crashes, I'm fine. Yeah. Same as <laughs> Final Cut 10. I never hit save because yeah. it's always writing that as you go. So, well, this is what I'm saying. See, yeah, these these are the kind of things that should be put in. That's not an innovation, yeah. but it should be put in yeah. to the existing software. I remember when Apple came out with Motion and seeing the big presentation up at NAB. Yeah, it's not as powerful as After Effects, but it's really easy to use. I mean, I'm watching it thinking, I could do that. Yeah. Exactly what you were supposed to think. Exactly. And what was fascinating to me, though, out of that, it, the, the thing that really jumped out at me is they had text, they had typed a sentence, and then they were scrolling through the font list to see, you know, what, if there was another. While they were scrolling through, the sentence was changing with the font, and I'm like, that should be in everything. That should be in your text editors. That should be. You know, it should just be across the board because that's such an innovation in how it, how you would work with stuff. But no, nobody else has put it in anywhere, which is amazing. That's because Motion was built on OS X frameworks, which gives you that for nothing, mm -hmm. whereas everyone else has to write it custom across two platforms. Ah, well, there you go. And two completely different ways of handling fonts, and they have to go back and they have to re-engineer what they've already got to take advantage of it, and that doesn't, it isn't a big enough marketing point. This, this is one of the problems that non-programmers, and, and I have to say, me, before I started to see behind the curtain and start a beta test and see internal documents and ultimately become a software product manager myself. It seems a lot easier for them to do it. They should be able to do that fairly easily mm -hmm. until you realize, well, making that one little change actually means we have to go back and refactor about 25% of the code in the entire app. Wow. Or not, you know. Or not, yeah. Just to add one more type of data mm -hmm. in the experiment we were running a moment with the with this note note logger um, interface mm -hmm. required revisiting. Well, we were reusing an engineering decision that we made before there were folders in Final Cut Pro Ten, and so we had to we had to have a way of creating key value pairs. Mm -hmm. We had to also identify the type of keyword as well as the fact that it was a keyword. Final Cut doesn't do any of that. Final Cut just has keywords, and I totally understand why they just they don't want to complicate the factor of having you know location keywords, people keywords. And, and the like. But we, we did, for our purposes, we wanted that. Within the structure we have behind the scenes, we had to put a, a K colon for content, a, N, a L colon for location, P colon, whatever the keyword was. Mm -hmm. In our early iteration, that actually showed up in Final Cut that way. So everything sorted together. Okay. Then Final Cut got folders, so we used those folders now to, to do that same job, and we stripped that off in the processing. But we can't get away from that. Even we we have to add a new type. There's, there's now, in, in our database, there's now an N colon type of metadata log. Okay. Because we have to go, we have to keep the pattern right. created in the first place to solve a problem that no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And that's a really simple example of the sort of problems that apps go through. When you see generally see a long gap between releases... It's because something architectural has happened. Some, yeah, I, I see that with Avid, even Premiere, et cetera, is that when Apple changes something, the Windows version is fine. You can stay on the existing yeah. system of Apple, but if you want to update the Apple system to the current system, uh, you're going to have to wait yeah. months and months and months while they figure out all the little bugs and problems. Yeah, that's because they're not writing to frameworks. Mm -hmm. The way you write an OS ten app is you write, and presumably Windows app similarly, if you're writing a pure Windows app, you write to the frameworks. So you don't have to write any code for font handling and that automatic updating. You just write to the framework and that's given to you. Mm -hmm. 
it's Apple's responsibility to update those frameworks to make them work the same way. Oh, okay. Frameworks are black boxes. You have certain inputs and you'll get certain outputs. Mm -hmm. And they're great because you don't want to keep reinventing a file dialog every single time and have it look different on every app. But it means you can't easily uh, cross-platform that. You can't easily port across platform. So it's very much easier for a team like the Final Cut Pro team Right to build their app than it is for either the Premiere Pro or the Media Composer teams to build their apps because pretty much any feature that they want to add, they have to write. Right. To get their interface looking their way, they have to subclass all the interface elements. They can't use a standard interface element. You know, there's a certain point where you can't use the standards. You have to go write your own code below it. But by and large, Final Cut build on the system frameworks much more so than Premiere Pro or Media Composer build on system frameworks simply because... You're only working on one system. And that's the point that I, I brought up about Lumberjack. If we're only working on OS X and, and Final Cut Pro X XML, those are things that, that are very known. If we had to then work with Premiere Pro's version of uh, Final Cut 7 XML, and that's a customized version of that XML, mm-hmm. okay, we now got two XMLs, so we doubled right. the work. Right. Now we've got to add two platforms. Right. So doubling the work again. Mm-hmm. So now we're four times the work for an incremental market increase. Mm-hmm. The people who are very who see the rise of Premiere Pro within the geographic area around here, and feel that we should we're missing out, and it's like uh, we probably are missing out on some business. You need to have it quantified to make yeah, it worth the to... effort, and that's the problem. And oh, no. yeah, yeah. If you really want Lumberjack for Premiere Pro, find my email address and send let send. Let me <laughs> let me know. I mean, I used to say never, and I'm still saying probably never. But mm-hmm. but you know. Make me an offer. Make make it worth my while. Make make me rethink my thinking. Mm-hmm. Because I don't see the innovators, the people who are looking to find new workflows, going to the Premiere Pro or Media Composer route. Okay. I'm personally happy that there are people innovating in making workflows easier. I wish there was a, uh, you know, a Philip Hodgetts in the finishing universe that would be helping <laughs> me more. <laughs> Maybe, but (laughs) I have more to contribute in metadata, and there's a whole other show to be talked about how metadata needs to drive distribution. Oh, yes. That's not this show. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's interesting to me, because that was a subject at the HPA Tech Retreat that I watched. Because, again, the HPA Tech Retreat is like the TED Talks of our industry. But you never know. know, There's different people talking about different things. You never know what's going to come up. And I watched one, and and they were really – it was all about – the metadata, even though they weren't calling it that, they have all the other names for it, but the metadata of being able to track when somebody sees some specific thing in some program somewhere and then goes and buys it or looks yeah. at it or something. There's actually these things called avails, which are – it's metadata about what is available in a scene for people to maybe go see. So if okay. an actor's wearing a certain jacket from a certain – company in a certain scene and somebody then goes to amazon and looks at that jacket they can tie that information together that's this huge area that i never even i can see where the value of it is for them but i never thought about it and plus these the incredible number of deliverables that has to be done now it's just ridiculous that there are so many versions of a show for different markets for different geographic areas for aircraft for not aircraft there are all these different versions Ultimately, they're going to have to be driven by metadata. Otherwise, a whole bunch of people are going to go completely crazy, batshit insane. 
<laughs> in the meantime, I'll do what I can with metadata in the production side and the particularly content metadata making life easier for, for an editor to then go and do the job that they pay to do, which is to be creative, to do the creative stuff, to make that raw material that might be strung out in sequence, but that's not an edit. That's not something that you want to watch in the home. This is not something that's finished. This is something that is that starting point for a, a non-scripted editor in the same way that the assemble to the script right. is merely a starting point right, for a right. feature film or a television show editor. That's not the finished job. Right. Frankly, the technology exists that we could do that <laughs> up to that point. Right. The, the, yeah, the assemble to the script. Assemble to the script with you know other takes in a, in a multicam or in a... Um, Audition in Final Cut 10. But that's not an edit. That's not a feature film. That's something no, that's probably string two, out. That's, that's two and a half times the length of the finished feature film or twice as long. These are starting points. And if we can get to those starting points faster, then of the three weeks that you've got, if you've got two and a half weeks to be creative instead of one week or two weeks, right. if you spend your first week transcoding, that's not creative work. Mm-hmm. But if you have everything ready to go by lunchtime on the first Monday... Well, that gives you a little bit more time at the end of that process to have maybe a sit back and review it and have a little second look at it. Kate's to have an opportunity to walk away from it for one day and come back, whereas you don't do that if you've got a week. Right, of, yes, no, you're, you know, yes. You're, you know, doing your, your producer's notes and your network notes down to the, the final wire. So you're actually allowing, allowing people to be more creative by taking out a lot of the busy work, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, and so. unfortunately, the taking out the busy work is the first step down of automating some people out of jobs. Well, yeah, that's we're back to that. <laughs> <laughs> I just think this is really cool, and I think that's why it was a well-deserved recognition for you at NAB. Well, thank you. If you are an offline editor and you are going to be working in Final Cut Pro or you're a producer, et cetera, and you want some tools that will simplify your life, check out assistedediting.com or lumberjacksystem.com. And if you need your, your movie polished or your TV show finished properly, come to Alpha Dogs and get it done right. Well, thank you. Well, until next time. Do something creative. Bye. <laughs>